This is Dr. Dan Diamond, and welcome to Curbside Consults, cutting edge interviews from around the globe. Prepare yourself for some great content today. I've got a guest that is going to change your perspective on your life. Joining me today is Mr. Todd Stabblefield, and Todd was accidentally shot by his cousin when he was eight years old. The two of them were in the other room playing with some guns, and no one had any idea what was about to happen. Unfortunately, Todd is paralyzed now from the neck down and completely disabled from the neck down. But let me assure you that from the neck up, Todd is one of those guys that is out to change the world. This is an inspiring man that I've known for a number of years. He brings a unique perspective on what it takes to make a difference in the world today. Well, Todd, you know, you and I have known each other for a couple of years now, and um, I've been impressed with your outlook and your perspective on life. But, uh, you know, I I know that, that you must have relived this, the moment that this, that your life changed many, many times. Could you, can you just kind of fill me in on exactly what happened that day with you and your cousin? Uh, well, I, I always step back a little bit uh, just to give a, some frame. Uh, my dad died when I was four, and that was four years prior to my accident. So we bring us to 1987. It's the summer of me going into third grade, and uh, my mom decided that summer to remodel her bedroom and to get rid of his you know, sort of remaining items. And uh, sadly, uh, several of those items were guns and uh, ammunition. And so she put them in the spare room. You know, I'd seen those guns a lot growing up because one of the things I used to do for my mom as a gift is uh, sort of organize her shoes in her closet. And the guns were in the closet. But I never had any desire to get them or look at them or, or even touch them. I remember once I unzipped the gun case, but that was, that was it. And then I zipped it right back up. I thought, oh, man, I'm going to get in trouble. And so, you know, years later, here the guns are in a spare bedroom with the bullets and everything. And my cousin and I are playing with them. And we had two shotguns and a twenty two rifle. And that was Wednesday. It was August 12th. Play with them, loaded them, looking at them, just doing what we do as kids. I mean, remember, too, you got to get your perspective. We have Bruce Willis, right? You know, say, oh, yeah. Dr. Tommy yeah, Bill, yeah. Right? We had Sylvester Stallone. I think he was still five foot two. You know, he was doing his thing. And then, of course, we had Arnold, you know, that was really running and gunning. So we really thought World War III was just around the corner and everybody gets a gun in that war. And uh, so just playing and thinking about who was going to get what. And we went to bed that night and woke up the next morning. It was about 1030, uh, Thursday morning, August 13th. And I was looking at a gun. Michael said, hey, can I look at it? Got up and gave it to him. Sat back down, and he was flipping the safety off and on and pulling the trigger, and uh, he shot me. And uh, I was on the other side of the room looking at bullets, and uh, the bullet went through my chin, and as it entered my chin, it deflected down through the throat and larynx, and then severed my spinal cord at C4. So I'm a complete C4 quadriplegic, no movement or feeling for the neck down. With the exceptions, of course, as always, of pain. Uh, but uh, I remember that as I'm talking to you right now, uh, falling over, laying there. Of course, you know, the whole 911 thing was called. In fact, I don't think even 911, I think it was a different phone number at that point. Uh, it was a four-digit number, if I remember correctly. And anyways, you know, minutes later, Mark Netman shows up, my swimming teacher, 
you know, <laughs> who's in the is an EMT, and uh, and so you knew right away that my spine, but uh, has been messed up, and uh, I just remember him saying, "You're gonna be okay," and they were taping a mask on my face, and uh, it was just strange, man, getting a stretcher, and there was like all these people, and then I just remember getting in a helicopter and being airlifted, and that's when I. So then it was how how long were you over at Harborview at the county hospital? Yeah, so Harborview I was there like six and a half weeks, seven weeks, touch and go the first week, really weird stuff, and then uh transferred to Children's Hospital and did rehab for a little over ten months. Nineteen eighty seven and you were you were eight years old, right? Eight, yes, I was eight years old. Wow. And I was so excited to get better. Because I was going to wear scrubs to school. <laughs> nice. Yep. nice. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, I was like, I got my blue sunglasses with my music notes on them, and then blue <laughs> scrubs, and then new Adidas, and I think it looked tough. So, so but, did uh, you did you wear scrubs to school when you went back? No, no, I never actually went back for another couple of years. But you eventually did. I did, but uh, scrubs were you know not a part of my world at that point. It was kind of a a major reboot for your life. You you end up going from being just a an active eight year old kid to in the hospital and then in rehab for months and months and months and um, but then you kind of you, you got back in right you went back to yeah. to life and school and all that jazz yeah I did I was um you know now I'm 33 now so when you look back at all that you can see how different things were put together and and different sort of focuses and sitting down with Mark Nutman you know years later was interesting. Because he, you know, he all about the talent, the, you know, the physical ability of Todd, and what that was like watching me play sports and swim, and you know, and you know, just you know, puffing you up and making you feel good, and like, wow, what what would that life been like, you know, as an able-bodied Todd? Yeah. And you know, but then now you're in bed, and you're stuck in bed for you know a year and a half because of a bed sore, you know, on your butt, and you're 14. You know, and I think that's when reality really struck for me. It was, uh, wow, I'm going to be in this for a while. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't think I'm going to walk again. And uh, so they were sort of that first rock bottom depression, that sore. And then in that whole process, I, you know, this is what you, you know, you're talking about with the Katrina and stuff like that is in that, in that space was this, you know what? I'm going to go real in the world. I'm going to do what we need to do. I'm going to go show everybody that I'll make this sexy. All right. I'm going to make, I'm going to make quadriplegia look like the boss. And, and obviously completely wrong foundation, you know, and potentially even motivation, but it, 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 it started it. Honestly, it really did. You know, and that was like, okay, forget it. I'm going to just study. I'm going to learn. I'm going to go be a psychiatrist. You know, I want to go to Berkeley. And and that was the whole brain set. Body's broken and done. Brain not. Show yeah. the world that can do it. Oh, yeah. And and that's just, that's how it all got crazy. So, you, know, so you ended up, I mean, obviously graduating from high school and then going on to university. Yeah, yeah I actually graduated early. I graduated a year early. Nice. Um, I was done with high school at, at, uh, at uh, 17. Um, but I'd also done college at the same time. And I'd done a vocational school. Because um, we had this really weird thing out called the Internet, and uh, it was going to be amazing, and everybody was going to use it. And here I am, 17, going, wow, this is going to take off. 
So I better position myself, you know, to work in this space. It's like uh, 13 websites, right? Wow. You know, Rolling Stones. I remember going to that website. And um, anyways, so at 17, I'd actually finished college first, and then I had to go back to high school because my diploma wasn't validated. <laughs> um, and, and I never stepped foot in the high school I graduated from because I just hired a tutor. And, uh, and a month and a half later, I was done. So in 1997, like, like September, I was done with my two-year as well as my, my K-12. through and, um, and then, because of the reality of what was happening so fast, you, you really begin to learn how the structure of this company, I'm sorry, of this, of this country is set up. And it's not set up for disabled people who are ambitious. So very quickly at 17, did my dreams get squashed. There was no way I was going to go to Berkeley. There's no way I'm going to do a four-year or even eight years. It wasn't going to happen. If I even remotely try to attempt it, you're going to get slapped. And so, therefore, Internet, get on the web, make as much money as you can, uh, because that's the only way you're going to be able to make it through your disability, because there's social services, Medicare, it's never going to work, because you got a job. And and that's, and that's exactly how I applied myself. So because so, you took the initiative, got a job, and we're making money, it disqualified you from getting any assistance so you could go on and go to Berkeley and, and follow your absolutely. dream. Yeah, I mean, at the day one at the job, 25 grand a year, you know, I'm, what, a week after 18, I'm in my software career, software development career in anatomical pathology. You know, and I was sitting there writing code for specimen tracking and billing and, you know, all the stuff and autopsies and pap smears. I mean, just a, what a crazy world that is, yeah. you know, and how and and that I would be in it, and I just thought that was really funny. Uh, and then you just went, okay, uh, social services, ground probation, you know, and then that went on for a couple years, and then really crazy stuff with them trying to garnish my wages and wanting me to pay back because I shouldn't receive those benefits, and a lot of talks to Olympia, and our state's capital, and, and getting that stuff squared away. And then finally just coming to my boss and saying, hey, this is where I'm at. Take it or leave it. And immediately, you know, $15,000 raise to cover what social services was doing. And then that basically inspired and ignited in me what I think all men want in the world, which is validation and self-respect. And Absolutely. And that's when I just went. I, that's when I gave my bone marrow to that company. And then what years later, I ran it for a number of years. I was their VP of ops. That's and, fantastic. Uh, but uh, yeah, that that story that was a uh, that's some crazy days. Oh yeah, well you and, know there's, it, there has yeah. to be this time when you're you're you had to make a decision when you're laying there. I, I bet yeah. during that months and months when you were struggling with the bed sore, uh, you had you had this kind of standing in the middle, looking, well, do I just kind of cave into this, mm-hmm. or do I kick it in gear and realize that that I've got the power to make a difference? Yeah, oh, all of the above, and that's what's funny is that. That happens in almost every single season. You got to keep revisiting it. Yeah, over and over everybody, again. Everybody says no. Everybody wants to punish and punch, and it's easier just to give up. I mean, really, it's I mean, really, to do good work, all right, and and to be production and to pause it. That, that's a lot of internal strength. And most of us forget it, man. I'll dip out on some oxy, or let me drink some Jameson, or you know, just hang out with some porn. You know, it's just it's easier to live numb. Yeah. Uh, than to actually do work. Well, and, tell me, uh, t- tell me what it's like when now, now that you're an old guy, a 33 year old guy, 
What's it like when you, from the time you wake up in the morning and you're going through your day, what's that look like? Sure. You know what, man? My world is crazy. And, uh, and I, and I dig it, you know, like right now I'm in a car, right. With Michael, uh, one of my assistants and we're sitting here waiting for a meeting here in a little bit with a, with a banker because yesterday I got a wild hair. And so now I'm going to, you know, go start a, a consulting firm. You know, at the same time, you know, I have a board meeting on Thursday with the foundation where we can have 15 folks present, you know, and discuss the, the business model for the year and our objectives. You know, and at the same time, I'm studying for my Series 65 because I want my securities license because I, I do uh, work in the finance industry and uh, work with folks who receive annuities but don't necessarily know exactly how to deal with that. Uh, you know, at the same time, trying to get this consulting firm off the ground uh, so I can work, you know, in the, in the database management space, which is something I absolutely love. So, you know, I get up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning depending on what the day it is, and put on a suit and have uh, somebody drive me to Bellevue or Kirkland or Redmond. Or... No, wait a minute. How do you put on a suit? You oh, can't well, move from the shoulders down. Right. Well, that's you, you pay somebody, you know, 20 bucks an hour to uh, come get you dressed at 4 o'clock in the morning. So... And, yep. and then brush your teeth and comb your hair. And Shave me, you know, do my hair, the whole... The whole you're, you're back to shaving again, because you know, on the internet you got this gimli beard that's amazing. I know, dude. Yeah, I know. I was really depressed. <laughs> um, but no, I'll shave. Actually, my hair is really short now, and I got a goatee and cyber. I'll never give up my sideburns, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, just Leon Reynolds, you know, I just... He was my boy, you know, Travolta. Oh, yeah. You know, back in the day, I, oh, yeah. I keep the burns thick. You gotta. Well, you know, yeah. one, of the, one of the things that, that struck me after I came back from Hurricane Katrina was this whole concept of locus of control. Back what in, does that even mean? Well, back in 1954, there was this uh, psychologist named Julian Rotter, and he was trying to figure out what the deal was with victims. And victims have this external locus of control, and they say that stuff happens to them. And, and thrivers, on the other hand, have an internal locus of control, and they, no matter what, they, they look at it like, well, I can still impact the environment. So, okay. so a, a victim would have a bumper sticker that would say, stuff, for lack of a better word, stuff happens. Sure. And then in, in little print underneath it, it would say, to me. And then in little tiny print under that, it would say, all the time. And, and oh. thrivers would say, like Viktor Frankl, you know, he was... A Austrian psychiatrist was captured by the Nazis in World War II and spent seven years in the concentration camps in, in Auschwitz and Dachau and was tortured, tortured, tortured. And he still believed that no matter what they did to him, they could never, ever take away his right to choose how he was going to respond. Amen, man. You know, and that's, the, that's, the, that's the internal locus of control. Okay. And... You know, I look at you and I'm thinking, well, here's a guy who is dependent on somebody else to have his teeth brushed, his hair combed, his uh, gimli beard trimmed and clothes put on and put in a chair and, you know, delivered. I, you know, I think a lot of people would say, well, your locus of control sucks. It's, it's external and stuff's happening to you. And yet I know you well enough to know that somehow in the midst of this all, you still have an internal locus of control. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, how? yeah it, uh, great question. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, a major man 
of prayer, you know, and have a really interesting and extremely intimate relationship, you know, with, with whom I call my king. Uh, and, I, you know, was that there at 8? You know, was that there at 10 and 14? You know, I don't know if I've wrestled that one, you know, to the point of, of uh, resolution. Uh, I just I just think there are certain people that have been marked and uh, people are stained almost, you know, with this, uh, this I'm going to be something and I'm going to show this and I want to help rewrite. And I, I, have, I can remember that being like five, you know, and six, even before I was paralyzed. You know, and my life had a lot of pain prior to getting shot. Man, oh, yeah. Really, your dad. My whole story, man, you know, uh, is, is pain and suffering. But, uh, I, I, you know, I, it's a great question. I don't think I have the answer for it. Why? Um, I don't know. But I do, I do, I want to say this, though. I do, I do feel this. In fact, Michael and I were talking about this the other day, was the vulnerability of my package is, is, is crazy. The, the vulnerability, you know, of my story and my physical expression uh, is really, I mean, it, it is interesting. I mean, to travel up and down and be independent in downtown Seattle, I mean, an angry five-year-old could kick my butt, yeah. you know, and flip my sternum up and I'd be dead. But yeah. in that place of vulnerability, there is such a beautiful, immense, uh, you know, sort of strength that I think is where some of this stuff comes from because people want to help and people want to be a part of your story. You know, how do I get to the next place? How do I keep that going and keep that in, in, my, in my spirit and my heart? Well, at this point, at 33, it's just a lot of prayer, and it's a lot of good music, and it's a lot of good food. <laughs> you know, I I have uh, people coming through my practice that I'm seeing that that are able-bodied, and and yet they're still struggling with, gosh, I don't, you know, I'm just feeling like I'm stuck. I don't know that I can do it. I don't know that I can pull off. You know, it just seems like everything's against me. Right. What, what would you say to somebody like that? Well, I would first say I'm sorry. Uh, and then I would say welcome. And what do you need? What do you want? Nobody's going to do this. It's all got to start with you. You have to drive where this is going to go. And it sounds like you've been hurt. It sounds like you got a story to share. We'll talk about it. And maybe in the process of you talking about it, you can flip a switch or engage or create some sort of catalyst for change. And that's that's what I do now. That's what I tell everybody. However, I do this, and I want to make sure this is very clear. I do not ever compare my story to their story. Yeah. That you will never hear me say that. And it's funny how everybody's so quick to go right there. Well, I, you know, I know my pain isn't your pain, sweetheart. Don't, don't put that on me. <laughs> I don't put that on you. That's right. You know, we're all vertical markets. Don't don't even try to go there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I I think it's the the yeah. I mean, you don't need pity. No, because you've accomplished great things. You're 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 moving. I think it's the the sad thing is when no matter what, whether somebody's able bodied or has just gone through a difficult time, when they when they give up and they think, wow, there's nothing I can do, then it stops. Then the whole thing comes crashing down and it stops. It's when you say, you know, I don't know how, but somehow I'm going to make an impact. Yep. That's, that's when things really start changing and turning around. You know, the, um, in, in Katrina, I remember seeing this 
woman that was being interviewed by CNN and she's screaming at the camera um, and she's holding on to her little daughter's hand and, and she's screaming at the camera saying, when is George Bush going to bring me my food? And I remember, you know, thinking, well, he's probably not going to bring you any food. I mean, it'd be nice thought, but he's probably not. Um, and then it, it was a great example of somebody that had an external locus of control and stuff is happening to her and she didn't have any right. control to get food and all that. But there was more to it than that. It, did, it took me a while to figure out what really bugged me. And the thing that really bugged me about this situation is that she was not saying, when is George Bush going to bring my daughter some food? She couldn't even see past herself. And it occurred to me in talking with uh, a mutual friend of ours, Chris Clark. I think you know him, the guy that started Children of the Nations. And Chris and I were sitting around one day talking about, you know, when, when people, there, there seems like there's two kinds of people in the world. There are givers and takers, and and I've had some people uh, that you know that'll come into into the office sometimes, and they're takers, you know. And I'll walk in, and I'll see them in the exam room, and I come out 15 minutes later or so, and I'm just going, <gasps> sucking the air and, yeah. and feeling like I'm going to die. My staff's looking at me like, you know, dude, what happened to you? And I show them the name, and they go, oh yeah, yeah, good point. But then oh, there's some yeah. people that you spend five minutes with them and you think, oh man, I'm, I'm going to go change the world because they gave you life. So I looked at victims as being powerless takers and thrivers on the other end of this spectrum as being empowered givers. And, I, and, I, and I'm looking at you and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, the things that you've done that you've accomplished do you think one of the reasons that you've been able to get up and get dressed and keep going is because you realized it wasn't all about you? Oh, for sure. You know, and that, of course, it, you know, it takes seasons to develop and figure out. And sometimes you got to come back to it and then leave it for a little bit and whatnot. But honestly, I mean, even like right now in this in this discussion, I mean, this isn't this isn't about me. I'm doing this for me. You know, I'm doing this for you. Yeah, uh, and I appreciate it. No problem. I mean, you're hearing something that's a little different, and and how does it apply to your story and to your world? Because um, even though we're not looking at each other, I mean, really, this is just a mirror, and uh, you're examining some things going on in your story and heart, and then that's exactly what happens with everybody else around, whether they're employed by me or if it's an audience or a high school class or what. But I don't want to be here because of me. I didn't ask for this. I didn't want to get shot. Yeah, I don't like being a quadriplegic. You don't feel very good. It hurts. Yeah, and it's humiliating and it's cruel. Uh, okay, what are you going to do? Well, I've tried that other side of the coin, and it didn't pay out. It was it was it was a short term, horrible fix. Yeah, and, and, and I hate to tell you, I've tried it too. You know, there's been times where I've been victims. I've been a victim, and I woke up and I thought there's nothing I can do, and it's all about me and what I can get, but. You know, I love these these paradoxes, uh, you know, and there's a lot of different paradoxes mentioned in the Bible about that, you know, like the last will be first, and if you want to find your life, you need to give your life away, and, you know, if you seek your life, you you don't find it. It's it's the strangest thing. When I hear about these guys, well, I got to go to India and go find myself. I'm thinking, man, as long as you're looking for yourself, you're not going to find it. Yeah, and you could do that here. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You don't need to go to India. 
chances are you're closer than you think. Yeah. <laughs> but you come up empty-handed when you're trying to see what you can get. It's it's when I'm giving stuff away to other people and making yep. a difference that I at the end of the day, when it's quiet, nobody else is around, I think, that was a good day. I really Amen. enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the day today. I love it. Volunteering and being with people in the midst of service, that's it's pretty righteous. Yeah. And I and I just totally dig it. Yeah, it's well, and, and you've done a great job. Tell me about you've started a foundation. Tell me about that. What haven't we started? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so actually, in the process of doing a little name change, finally reality hit us hard. Uh, usually, the word foundation means you get a ton of money, and uh, and we're starting classic American grassroots story. So we just we all got together and just simply said, "You're employed." That is nuts. Uh, you know, what, what other C4 quadriplegic or higher in the country is gainfully employed, not on government subsidies and on private insurance? I'd love to meet that person. You know, you go one, you go one vertebrae down and, and it's all in the world. It's a whole other atmosphere. Yeah. And so I wanted to say, hey, where is somebody else that can help pioneer this trail? And so around that started this whole concept and idea, well, let's go help people. You know, let's go figure it out. Let's go provide technology. You know, quality in technology is quality in life. And that's what we started doing. And, and there's some things that have spun off from that as well with just writing a book and sharing the story and doing speaking and things of that nature. But the bottom line is is that um, I'm here to help those quadriplegics that are what we refer to as face drivers, you know, whether it's sip and puff or their chin or whatever. Uh, but we're we're all about helping those folks that are not very many of them and they're usually in a nursing home or stuck away in some house and uh it's time to time to let those men because they're mostly men be men and how do we give them that validation and that self-respect uh they're all artists man let's go get them my guest today has been todd stabblefield and if you're interested in finding out more about what todd's up to or if you know of somebody else that's a quadriplegic and would like to learn more about the work that Todd's doing to help quadriplegics become more independent, please check out his website. It is www.thetsf.org. He's also in the process of making a documentary film, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what he has to say in that. I know he's been working on it for a couple of years now. He's hoping to get it out to some of the film festivals sometime in the near future. So again, go check out his website, www.thetsf.org. Thanks, Todd, for spending time with us today. Hopefully you found this information helpful. This is Dr. Dan Diamond, and you've been listening to Curbside Consults, cutting-edge interviews from around the globe.